Welcome to the Veteran Business Collective Podcast. All right. Welcome to the Veteran Business Collective Podcast. My name is Chase Roth. I am your host. We are coming to you out of the Signal Fire Studios provided by Signal Fire Media Company. Huge thank you to those guys for allowing us to use their space to kick off our podcast series. If you want to support the Signal Fire team, you can do so at signalfire.media as well as give them a follow on all their social channels. And a huge thank you to GeoOwl for being our show sponsor for this month. Uh, they have made this possible by uh, funding the entire program for us. Uh, if you are interested in careers in the intelligence space, visit GeoOwl.com. They are the premier geospatial intelligence provider for all U.S. agencies. And today we are talking to John Penichone. Welcome. Man, I'm jacked to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for agreeing to be our first guest. Yeah, like I told you, I'm either the throwaway or I'm extremely honored to be here today. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure the way it's going to go is if we end up with no followers and listeners, we're going to pin it on you. Absolutely. I'm reason. used to that. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I figured we'd kick it off by just talking about the VBC and uh, how we got to where we are today with launching a podcast almost uh a year into our, our journey. Uh, you've been with us from the, the very beginning, so um, figured we'd start there. Yeah, well, uh, what do you want? where do you want to start? I mean, I think it's awesome what's going on, and it has to happen all over the country, you know, for lots of reasons, what I'm sure we'll get to, but uh, it's just a great, great thing. Yeah, so I, I, let's, let's go back to our first meeting. We're almost, let's see, it's October, so we're at 11 months. Next, next month will be our one-year anniversary of... Wow. The VBC. Cool. So a year ago, you got a phone call from me. Yeah. And I said, hey, John, I'm thinking about doing this thing, getting some veterans together so we can do some some business networking together was the idea. Uh, and I said, what do you think? And you're like, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. Let's do it, right? I mean, do you remember that? Well, now I asked you, are we going to meet at a bar? Right. That right. Would, yes. Okay. Important And you said yes, and then, yes. I, yeah. Yeah, then I agreed to show up. Yes. Yeah. Once we determined that beer was going to be involved, then it right. became a good idea. Yeah, that that was, that's part of the recipe for what makes it great. And what makes veterans veterans, too. That's right. right? you got to have a little beer involved there. Yeah. So. And we, we called some of our other uh, associates that we knew through uh, through our uh, involvement in the, with the veteran community. We had uh, Rob Campbell, uh, who's now a chapter president in Nashville. That's right. Uh, Rob Renz, uh, who's still heavily involved and who founded Signal Fire Media Company, which we're in their studio. Uh, Ryan Casey with Tilia Fiduciary Partners was uh, originally involved, as well as Tim Horst. Uh, and we all got together at uh, a brewery in downtown Wilmington in November of last year. I believe lockdowns were still in place. Yeah, where they? was that? I can't remember where the first one was. It was at uh, Ironclad Brewery. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Ironclad yeah. Brewery downtown agreed to host us. Um, and we had, I want to say, 15 folks show up right. to our, our first meeting, not really knowing what we were going to do or what we were going to talk about or what was going to happen. So it was kind of cool that we even had people show up, especially with COVID going on and, uh, you know, lockdown still technically Yeah, I know. I think people were eager to get together at that time. They just wanted the beer, right? That's right. Like, okay, yeah, we'll go to a brewery for the first time in 12 months. That's right. Might have been part of our (laughs) our success there. Um, But it just kind of snowballed. we had 15 people show up. We had a, a great evening, a good conversation, and we said, well, let's do it again next month, and we did. And I think we had 30-something show up the next month, and that just right. kept 
kind of happening. Um, yeah, it just keeps growing every week why or you, every month. Why do you think that is? Uh, I've got lots of theories because I've really been thinking about it. Okay. Um, and, you know, I've, we'll get into this, but my experience with Vet the CEO gives me a lot of context to answer that question, right, because I've been hanging around with veterans for a while now in that program. Uh, but I think it comes down to veterans are used to not doing things alone. Like since the day we step into the military, we get assigned a buddy and we never do anything alone, right? Mm-hmm. And and when we do dangerous, brave things in the military, um, we have layers of risk and security around us, but we have our buddies to our left and our right. We're never alone. Like there's no Rambos in the real military, right? Right, right. So I think when we get out, especially when we start businesses, you know, running a business is a very lonely endeavor. And if you're a veteran and you're, you're fortunate enough to have started a small business, it's a lonely world. So I think that's part of the success is that the VBC is a magnet to pull all of us guys and gals out of the woodwork that want that camaraderie, fellow veterans who are also business owners. And I, I see that every month I go to the meeting. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. I hadn't heard it put quite like that, where uh, you specified that veterans, you know, always have a battle buddy. They never do anything alone. Yeah. And that's, that's true. And that was part of the reason uh, that, that we did this from the beginning. It was I felt like there had to be other veteran business owners out there in the wild that I just didn't know about. Yeah, and I think that's how you see every month where, you know, part of the agenda is who's done business with each other, all that business happening. It's that that intrinsic trust. Like, for example, I just bought some office condos. First time I ever bought commercial property, and, you know, one of the members came over and did the inspection for me. Now, he took me to the cleaners, and he overcharged me, but I'm kidding. (laughs) No, but I I, He probably charged you a beer. (laughs) I just, you know, I just, I didn't really know him that well, but I knew he's a veteran and and, and he's a good guy. I met him and, and I called him and it was like, you know, he showed up right away and took care of me. So, you know, that kind of stuff is just intrinsic trust that you don't get many places. Yeah, I think that intrinsic trust definitely helps uh, grease the wheels of networking quicker than perhaps in other organizations uh, where it's not a specific population segment yeah there's a book and i haven't read it but i know about it called the speed of trust somebody famous wrote it but you might know about it but i think that's what it's all about when you have that trust there i mean that that just breaks down it makes things much more efficient and speedy and i think we as a group in the vbc but also veterans in general you know come to the table with that trust that's just a given right till it's proven that it shouldn't be there but most of the time it's there yeah absolutely so I, I, I guess we, we didn't even really mention what it is the, the VBC does, uh, given that this is our, our first podcast and we may have some listeners who aren't mm-hmm. familiar with uh, what we do at the VBC. So um, You might want to define VBC. Yeah, the, well, I, the Veteran Business Collective, right? right. So we, we, uh, we started out just hosting in-person networking meetings, uh, specifically geared towards veteran business owners and veteran professionals. And of course, we have civilian supporters. We, we, we do not feel that uh, veterans should try and operate as an, as an island unto themselves. Uh, they need to be integrated into the rest of the community to really achieve success and have a greater impact within their community as well, is, is by having civilian involvement uh, and partnerships. Um, and that's kind of, kind of grown and it's, it's turned into uh, we're, we're now leveraging the business community as a whole to provide uh, a sense of purpose, uh, 
belonging to a tribe and economic success and stability to our membership, which are three of the things that we've all kind of collectively defined over the last year as things that you lose when you leave active duty. Right. Uh, and so we're kind of able to, to recapture that at least on a monthly basis. Yeah, and you lose it overnight, as you know. Yeah, And then instantly. you long for it for the rest of your life. <laughs> so yeah. this is a, uh, you know, medium, uh, you know, a routine medium by which you can reconnect, you know, and tap into that energy, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I think that's probably a, a good background on, on the VBC. Um, you have been, aside from the VBC in the last year, you've been heavily involved in the veteran business community for a long time uh, in a variety of ways. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is, is your, your work with founding and then uh, running and operating vet to ceo for the last, what is it, eight years now? Yeah, we founded in 2013. Okay. Um, and you've, you've trained how many thousands over of over 4,000, over 4,000 veterans in, in business related skills. Right. Uh, talk a little bit about what, what drove you to, to start vet to CEO in the first place. Yeah, that's a long story, but I'll just give you the highlights. Uh, you know, first of all, it took me like 10 years between the time I took the uniform off to the time I started my business. And when I, you know, back when I got out, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of groups like VBC around or Vet to CEO or anything. And I think most veterans who got into business took them a while to figure out, hey, I, t I brought some things out of the military that I, uh, give me the confidence to start my own business or buy a business or something. So, and I, I felt like uh, that was a, it shouldn't take that long. And there were other people that agreed with me at the time that, that also owned businesses. Uh, but then right about that time, when, um, right out, you know, I had owned my business for a while, and um, it uh, the Accenture gave a grant to the Kauffman Foundation, which is one of the country's premier entrepreneurship nonprofits, right? Um, and the, the grant was to train 200 veterans on, um, on entrepreneurship, right? And 120 of those 200 needed to be done online. They mandated that as part of the grant. Why? To this day, I don't know. But through a series of connections and what I was doing at the time, uh, they asked me to teach the class. So... <laughs> Myself and the co-founder, Mike Horn, taught the class. We taught um, six classes. There were 10 sessions per class. Each one of them was three hours to so do the math on that. That's like 180 hours of online instruction that we did for free, and it took us all year to do it. And uh, we actually went back to Kaufman like good military people do. We t typed up an after-action review. We said, here's what went well. Here's all the things that didn't go well, and here's how you should change the program. And they said, uh, yeah, we appreciate that AAR, but would you do it again next year for free? And we don't want to change anything. And we said, uh, no. And um, we were running businesses at the time, too. So that's what led to the design of the Vet CEO program. And we started a nonprofit and then created our own program uh, based on what we told Kaufman to do. Now, Kaufman was great. Uh, we're big fans of Kaufman. And that was a long time ago. But uh, that's actually, without that happening, I don't think Vet to CEO would have been born. So, uh, you know, we, we value what they did for the community. But that's kind of how it all started. That's pretty incredible. Uh, and and you've, been, you've been running Vet to CEO. You run, what, four cohorts a year? We're uh, averaging about three. We just turned the switch on right now uh, for the next one. But we okay. average about three a year. Three year, and you've been doing that at the same time that you've been running your own businesses. Yeah, uh, and and for the majority of the time, if if I've got my facts straight, you were running a uh, a tech company, a software, software as a service company. company, right? Yeah, um, which you 
successfully sold, sold this year. Yeah. Talk, talk about Let that. Let me try not to smile. Bit. Yeah, you should be smiling, right? That's, that's, uh, <laughs> It should be everybody's goal, right, is to have yeah. a successful exit after they've been in business for a while. Yeah, successful exits are good when you're a paratrooper and when you're in business. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, Master blaster paratrooper. Yes, right? yes. Be clear about that. Yes. Yeah. What was the question? What, what was it like? Uh, so you didn't have a software background in the military. No, but I did when on the 10 years where I worked, when I got out, I was I, I ended up in technology roles, and then I got an MBA with a concentration in technology. I'm not a technical guy, but I know how to manage technology mm-hmm. and, and technology teams. What were some of the, the struggles you had running a software company? Oh, where do I begin? Uh, I, there's a lot of things I learned about running a software company, uh, mostly on the investor side, and I'm sure we'll get to that. But, you know, the business model of software, there's no fixed assets like buildings or machines. So it's really difficult to get financing for software companies because of that. There's no collateral and that stuff. That's boring stuff. But I learned a lot about the business model. Um, um and also, software is, I have these, these things I've learned the hard way. Software is, it's easy. I tell all these people I help now and, and work with that are starting software companies, I said, you know what, it's, it's easy to march down the field really fast, you know, like Tom Brady's your quarterback, and then you get on the 10-yard line, and then that last 10 yards is a bitch, you know, to mm-hmm. finish software, to finish a software product. And... You know, lots of people have this great idea with software. They hire some people, and they get right down the field of the 10-yard line. But that last 10 yards is so hard, so expensive, and takes so long to get into the end zone because there's always a bug. There's always a new idea. And software never is done. And um, it's a challenging business. I'm not saying don't go there. Lots of company, people do. But those are the nuances I learned the hard way. And, and because of that, it takes a lot of financing uh, to sustain a software company because of that. And, you know, they never taught me that in school. I learned that the hard way. And when you look at any software company, particularly those that are undercapitalized, that's what they're suffering from, that last 10 yards. Okay. That's a, that's a great segue into another topic I wanted to cover with you is uh, you, you mentioned funding was a problem for the company. And I think that funding is a main concern that a lot of veterans have when they're, or people in general, when they're considering going into business. Um, and I mean, you've talked about this a couple of different times, but, uh, there's a lot of veterans who say they, when they leave the military, they want to start and run their own business, but it's such a very small percentage of those that say they want to actually do it. And I think that funding is probably one of their biggest obstacles. Uh, what do you think? What's your experience there? Absolutely. Funding is one of the biggest obstacles for anybody, uh, veteran or not veteran. But I think with veterans specifically, it's a it's an especially acute challenge for a couple of reasons. One is none of us join the military to make save a lot of money. <laughs> I yeah. say often, I'm going to say it here, uh, I'm proud to say that when I got out of the Army six years after I went in on active duty, I, I had as much money as when I went in, which was nothing. So I was single and I blew it all and I had a damn good time. But, um, you know, there's, I, I wouldn't say I was a good role model when it came to that, but even if I saved some money, I wouldn't have had enough money to start a business, right? Um, and secondly, our jobs in the military don't usually involve factoring in money, right? Unless you're in a finance unit. Right. 
But I'll steal, uh, you know, our friend Rob Campbell's analogy. It's like in the Bin Laden raid, nobody raised their hand on the back and said, hey, you know, we'll save uh, half a million dollars if we just go with one helicopter. You know, that doesn't happen in the military, right? It's all about mission accomplishment. It's almost like you got a blank check, just get it done. There's a huge mindset shift of going from uh, being handed a budget and spending a dollar to having to make a dollar. Right. Right? It's a big big mental, mental shift of... Yeah, yeah. military. Hey, here's your budget. Make sure it's gone by October first, yeah. so that we can ask for extra the next year because we ran out. Right. Yeah. So there's this big rush at the end of the fiscal year to look at the the accounts for training and material and everything, and and just blow through it as fast as you possibly can, even if you don't need stuff. Right. Just use it. Get it gone. Um, and then you go into business, <laughs> and you're like, man, we got to save a few of those. I, I can't. I might not make payroll next week. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've ran into that yeah. where you're like, how, how am I even going to pay my staff next week? Because, you know, you know, we've we've done some business, but accounts receivables are outstanding. They haven't come in yet, you know, and you've got to figure out how to scramble and open credit cards you didn't want to have in order to cover, you know, short-term expenses and things. Yeah, it's, it's a completely different out. focus, right? Well, it, yeah. So, and where where it, where the other thing about that it comes into play, which has nothing to do with being a veteran or not, is, you know, in the civil... When you're not in business, there's this term called financial literacy, right? Everybody should be financially literate. They should teach that in class. There's a big movement about that. Just just regular getting by with your life, right? When you're talking about a business, it's that times 10, right? right. You, you have to understand finance, small business finance. But it's not that you can't learn it. I mean, all kinds of people learn. You don't need a college degree or anything. It's just that you never spend time learning it. And it's kind of like learning a language, or learning a skill in the military. You know, when you if you were a helicopter in the military, you didn't know how to fly that damn thing the day you showed up, right? Took a good year or so at least to know how to fly it without killing yourself. And, you know, finance is similar. You know, most people have no idea how the heck it works. You gotta immerse yourself in it and get good at it. And if you don't get good at that, you're not gonna be that successful in business, right? So it's right. one of the things you need to do. And back to the Vet to CO program, that's one of the pillars that we spend a lot of time on is the finance piece. During the normal uh, Vet to CEO program, but then you also launched new a whole new product line under Vet to CEO this last year, right? Yeah, there's another program we just launched. We just delivered our third cohort called the Funding Academy. So that takes what I'm talking about and does a deep dive. And um, that one's a three-week program, and it's just about finance, you know, and financing small businesses and really the reality of it. And we don't candy coat anything. And I can get on a tirade about that. But what you hear in the public domain is nowhere, anywhere near the truth when it comes to, you know, how easy or hard it is to get money. So we talk about the, um, you know, the reality of getting funding and what not to spend time on and what to spend time on, depending on your circumstance. That kind of takes us back to, you know, our our initial line of question here, which was, you know, veterans that look to start businesses when they leave active duty and don't because of financing, what are some of those obstacles that you just alluded to? Well, don't believe what you hear at these rah-rah entrepreneur gatherings. That I'm not, I'm not putting VBC in that category, by the way, right? Um, and I'm not going to mention names, and I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. I'm just saying I've gone to many, many um, entrepreneur events, and almost everyone you go to, there's, you know, the same thing happens. They got a few people on the stage, and they were all the winners. That's why they're on the stage, right? And they talk about how they were financed and raised money from this or got this loan. And we leave these things thinking, oh, well, I could get a loan. Or you go to, um, 
some seminars on bank loans and stuff put on by various people, and it just makes it seem like it's easy. And it's not. If you look at the statistics, it's extremely difficult to get a bank loan. You have a very low chance of getting investors to back you. Nothing wrong with that. That's the reality of it. In the military, nothing's handed to you either. And it's just about, okay, well, given those um, odds, where should I focus my energy depending on what resources I have and what kind of business I have? There's some doors you don't want to knock on, but there's others that you should knock on. you got a better chance, right? So, um, you know, that understanding that is 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 what the funding academy is all about my experience has been that banks only give you money if you don't need the money right right so if you're if you're a guy that can't personally guarantee a loan because of your collateral your your assets your home your cars or whatever else it has that you can use to secure a loan as a lot of transitioning veterans who leave the military maybe they they lived in base housing they don't even own a house right it's provided by the government they don't have uh, several hundred thousand dollars in the bank or even uh, a built-up pension because the pensions provided by the government, they weren't investing in even a 401k that they could leverage. Uh, so if they don't have all these assets that allow them to go to the bank for uh, what we would, I guess, consider a traditional funding source, what what are some of the, the options? Well, um, crowdfunding, as you know, I'm a big fan of. Uh, investment crowdfunding in particular is a huge new thing that um, veterans in particular can turn to. And veteran women and minority-owned businesses have extra special struggles getting traditional financing for some of the reasons we've already discussed, right, and you just mentioned. Uh, and, vet- and minority and women-owned businesses statistically get shorted as well. But those things actually work for you uh, if you do investment crowdfunding for a variety of reasons. So um, people tend to like to help each other if they're, if they're in those categories. And well-meaning people like civilians involved with VBC like to help uh, veterans, for example, in meaningful ways. One meaningful way you can help a veteran is help fund their business, and that, that's where investment crowdfunding comes in. Um, when, you say, when you say investment crowdfunding, I, I think – I could be off, but I think a lot of people are going to picture like a Kickstarter campaign yeah. where you're offering, like, let's say you've got a new design on a cooler and you're saying you'll get, you know, give me 50 bucks and I'll give you this $300 cooler for 150 when it comes out, or you can get a free product or something like that. But what you're talking about is substantially different from that, right? Yeah. There's two kinds of crowdfunding. There's pledge crowdfunding, which you're describing, right? And that's mm-hmm. Kickstarter and GoFundMe. And, um, you cannot legally offer a financial security through those pledge crowdfunding. You can only offer a gift or a give back or nothing. So, you know, a lot of tragedies in life, they use those, when people experience a tragedy, they use those crowdfunding sites as a way to, you know, get financial support when if you're in a tough, tough spot, right? And there's also some for-profit companies that have used them, but and like the cooler company, they, they'd have some kind of give back. Um, if you're a for-profit company uh, and you want the difference with investment crowdfunding versus pledge crowdfunding is you're offering the public a financial security, and that's regulated by the SEC, and you're, you're offering a, um, something to invest in, right? And that, that, that's, you cannot do that on pledge crowdfunding sites. The techniques are the same. You're using an Internet platform, and you're trying to get your message out to lots of people who are going to write lots of small checks, but the difference is, on one hand, you're just giving a little gift back or nothing. 
On the other hand, um, you're offering the community a security by which they can invest in your company. Okay. Are there are there particular business models that are better suited for that funding approach than others? You know, not really. Uh, across the country, all kinds of businesses uh, are getting funded through that. And like any new thing, especially any new thing powered by technology, usually uh, in my software background, I, I saw this as well. When really what um, software's done, particularly on the investment crowdfunding side, it it's automated what used to be a real pain in the ass process. Yeah. <laughs> Doing private placements the old-fashioned way, which I've done, took a gazillion dollars in, in lawyer fees to write up all the documents. Mm-hmm. You had to have 800 meetings with investors. Took forever. Very laborious, very inefficient, and very hard to get done, right? What we've done with investment crowdfunding, in effect, is we've applied software to that, and we've automated it, right? Now it's super easy to do all that stuff through software. So with, with any kind of software innovation, usually the first step is that we automate the old process, right? And that's kind of where we're at right now as an industry. What's really cool to watch is really neat, innovative new models are coming out of that, right? And uh, it's kind of like, you know, the overused analogy of Uber, right? When Uber first came out, people thought it was weird, you know. (laughs) And and, the rest is history. I don't need to tell you what happened. Now there's Uber models in many other industries, Mm -hmm. right? Everything's being Uber. Compared to Uber. and Right. And before Uber, nobody really thought of that. Well, that's what's happening with investment crowdfunding. There's really cool models emerging on funding real estate projects, right? Uh, Funding people that historically can't get funded like veteran women and minorities are now getting funded, right, for reasons that aren't bank-like or traditional investor-like, right? And it's really cool to watch that stuff. Are are there any limits to, you know, the amount of money that can be raised through that that method? No, it depends which program you're talking about. Um, the 800-pound gorilla, most commonly used one, is something called Reg CF, which stands for Regulation Crowdfunding. You can raise up to $5 million under Reg CF, which really takes care of a lot of small businesses, right? That's yeah. why it's used the most. And um, But there are like five other programs under the, the – the, we came out of the JOBS Act, Title III. Uh, there's five other programs, and a couple of those you can raise an unlimited amount of money. Okay. Now, these are all services that – you actually personally provide through Fola Capital, correct? Right, right. We're an SEC registered broker dealer. We're an investment banking firm, basically. We can provide advice to companies that want to raise capital this way. We can raise capital the old fashioned way, too, and we do that for some clients. Depends on the situation. But we really specialize in investment crowdfunding, and we we're not exclusive to, but we really cater to the unique needs of veterans, minority, and women owned businesses. Do you have a an example, a client that you're willing to you know, share with us that you're working with right now? Um, I love the question. It's just that we're regulated and there's some rules around advertising that we have to respect. So I, I with let's all do the, a hypothetical one then. Let's say well, Ch- let's say Chase wants to start a business, um, and it's not a uh, you know it's it's not a fancy tech company that angel investors are going to want to take a look at or anything like that. Let's say it's an HVAC company. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm looking at leaving the military. I'm going to go to trade school, uh, spend a year getting my HVAC license, and I want to open a, an HVAC company. Uh, could I sit down with you and have a conversation about how to how to fund that? Yeah, the short answer is yes. And one of the unique cool things about investment crowdfunding, and it, and it relates to what I just said about innovation, is it's the only way to raise money and test the market at the same time, right? And I won't bore you with details on that, but if Chase's HVAC 
company was started up. You can actually put packages together to say, hey, if you invest in Chase's HVAC company and you invest at least $5,000, one of the perks you're going to get is I'll service your HVAC system for three years for free, right? I'm just making this up, right? Right, right. So it's a way to bundle in the product or service with the raise as a perk. And uh, the good news is you might get you know, tons of people that write you $5,000 checks and you've just funded your business. And by the way, you just have all these new customers too because they just invested in you. So you're going to get the repair work and you're going to get everything else that comes along with, with having them on your your, uh, right. uh, your customers. And, and guess who's probably going to invest in Chase's HVAC company? Other veterans, you know, right. or people that prefer you as an HVAC provider because you're a veteran, right? And they maybe they're not veterans. But that that's kind of the emotion you can tap into whether you're a woman-owned, minority-owned, veteran-owned business that's unique to investment crowdfunding. Um, I like the, the – you mentioned proof of concept built into the, the funding model, which I think is pretty cool because it's, it's really easy for people uh, to hype themselves up and convince themselves that they've got a great idea or that they're going to be able to do something exceptionally well better than everybody else is already doing it. Yeah. Right? Like it'd be easy for me to sit in this office by myself and convince myself that I can run an HVAC company better than – the you know 53 other ones in town that are already existing right but when you you put your your model to the public and say hey here's what i want to do give me money and and let me go do it you you, you get a litmus test of whether other people think that you're you're on point or you've got a great idea or that you're the right guy or not to to do what, well, you what have the right special do. twist to your HVAC company, right. you know, because, um, look, you're not the best-looking guy in the world, right? Know, so you, you got to play that veteran card if, if that's the advice I would give you as yeah, your investment sure. banker, you yeah. know. But, you know, that only goes so far, right? It has to be something unique about the business that uh, as well. So it's kind of like the whole package. But the underside is, look, let's say you don't get funded and the campaign fails, well, that's actually the market telling you there's something wrong with either you or your business or both, right? Like right, people right. didn't find that too enticing to invest in, right? Right. That's not necessarily bad news because what didn't you do, right? Well, you didn't secure a big loan that you're going to default that's right. on, right? So you didn't that. go out and buy all this crap and then cut the yellow ribbon, and then the public tells you uh, we're going to stick with who we got, right? Or do what I did for my first business, which was liquidate <laughs> everything that I had every penny, every retirement account, everything, in order to leverage my buy-in. Yeah. It was, at that point, 100% sink or swim. Right. There was no, no turning back. There was no backup, right? Like <laughs> That's that, right. That was it. You were in it to win so it you've or lived lose it, it all. Right? Yeah, yeah. So now, now, and I lived that too, right? I was all in too at one point with my first business. But this allows people, veterans or not, to te- yeah, they use this word test the waters, but you can test the market with an idea bundle in this and raise money at the same time, right? Um, there's more to it than that, but uh, we can get into it. But that's kind of the, if you can't tell, the exciting, unique thing about it. No, I think that's great, especially if it's a, uh, a type of service that's going to have, that you think is going to have broad appeal. You get to, you absolutely get to get that uh, uh, customer discovery done yeah. during your, your capital raise if you didn't do it during your business planning like you should have done. Yeah, uh, you know, the one thing it does require, I, I must say, and it's our experience with Follett is telling us this. Like, I, I was a sales guy before I started my business, and owning a business, you better become a sales person, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if you're running a small business. And a lot of challenges people have is um, they've never sold anything in their life. And when you've never sold anything in your life, investment crowdfunding can be a challenge, right? It's not like you're 
have to convince one underwriter at a bank that you got a good business. You, you actually have to market the business and the security at the same time, and, and you got to get out there and you got to compel people to invest. Right. And with a lot of people that had never sold before, we've learned this the hard way at FOLA. That, that scares the crap out of people, right? Yeah. So crowdfunding might not be good for someone who's afraid to sell, right? Well, but if you're afraid to sell, the business might not business. be a good, good call for you either, right? Well. Um, Yes and no. Uh, I would say to somebody who doesn't like to sell, look at franchising, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or buy an existing business that already has customers. You know, if you're, you're still going to have to sell, though, aren't you? Right, but I mean, you're um, still going to have to convince people to continue to be a customer or continue to buy your services or your products or whatever they are. Even if you buy an existing business that has a current customer role, they're yours to lose. Yeah, you know, if you're you, absolutely right. It's just easier when you look at other paths, right, right, right. Um, than a startup. And especially franchising. I mean, e- even you, Chase, if you opened up a Jersey Mike's, right, people are going to walk in there and buy a sandwich. Yeah, right? you have some instant instant cred with the brand. Right. The brand, People right. know what that's they're getting when they come absolutely. in. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why McDonald's costs as much as it does. That's right. Because they know that. They know that you build it and they will come. There's not a lot of work that needs to be done to make that happen. Right. The number one reason businesses fail, no matter what survey you look at, is there's no market for that great idea you have. Right. No market. Right. The number two reason is they run out of cash. But mm-hmm. let's take that number one reason. Startup is the hardest um, path to take because you've got an unproven market for that great idea you have. Right. And if there's no market for that great idea you have, you know what they call that? A yeah. hobby. That you, you have a, a hobby. hobby. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So like my or, my or a charity, you're, yeah. you're just you're paying people to to do nothing, and you're and you're making nothing out of it. Yeah, I mean, how many people have you met in your life? Are like, I got the greatest idea for a business, right? How many times have you heard that, right? I, like almost every day. And like half the time for me, you're like, what, what, what is it? You know, it's a new uh, square yo-yo. It's awesome. You could set it on the table, and it doesn't roll off. And oh man, people are gonna want. It. And you're looking at the dude going, what? <laughs> and, and, you know, they're so passionate about it, right? Right, right. It's like, dude, you're the only one that likes square yo-yos. Probably an Air Force guy. But anyway, um, you, you know, you get these people with passionate ideas, and they're hobbies, really, right? right? And if people aren't willing to take out their wallet and pay you for that square yo-yo, you don't have a business. You have a hobby, right? Right. And a lot of people learn that the hard way. But with franchising and buying an existing business, you've taken that number one reason businesses fail all right off the table, right? right. That's one of the things you're paying for. Yeah. Um, Anyway. But you still need the money. You still need money. Still you need, need actually need more money than you probably thought with a startup, right? And that's a whole other challenge. Right, right. Yeah, because you're meeting somebody else's standards at that point. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, so you've got a couple solutions for veterans who feel that funding is an obstacle. Um, you mentioned a couple other things just now uh, as, as far as paths to business ownership for people. It's not. It doesn't have to be a startup. You said it could be franchising. It could be buying a business. Um, could you use these funding methods to, to do that, to buy a business? Yeah. So there's really, we, we like to say, and we didn't coin this. I mean, there's, in reality, there's three paths to small business ownership, right? Startup was the one that gets all the glory and all the TV shows. Um, it, buying a franchise and buying an existing business, those are the three paths. But when you look at how hard they are to finance, buying a business is actually the easiest one to get financed. Right. So if you're coming out of uh, uh, the military and, you know, you're broke, you can literally buy a business with none of your own money and take our program to learn how. But um, lots of people do it, right? Right. 
Startup is the most expensive, really, more so than franchising, if you ask me. And the reason is franchising looks expensive, but they're really good at knowing exactly how much money you're going to need to be successful. Right. Where when you're a, a newbie startup person. There's a lot um, of trial and error where there's wasted dollars trying right. to figure things out. Right? Yeah. I mean, you're going to need way more money than you think. Uh, right. I don't care who you are. Right. I learned that the hard way. Right. So um, it takes money to get into small business. But um, buying an existing business can be the easiest to finance. Um, and, and, and really, I'm not saying that's why you should go down that path. But if you're strained for cash, uh, you don't have any cash like I did at one point. You know, it's like that's one to look at. Uh, financing is one of the decision criteria. Well, the method I used on, on an acquisition was uh, I leveraged really hard uh, for owner financing. Yeah, seller financing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it happens all the time. To me, I feel like there's there's a lot of uh, credibility built into that model, much like crowdfunding, where if, if the seller believes that they've built a business that can function without them, then yeah. they should be willing to carry a debt service on that. Yeah, and, and actually most small business owners um, haven't really thought about an exit, and they want to go golfing and retire and go on trips with their spouse or whatever, and they're like, well, how the hell am I going to get out of this business? And especially as a veteran, you approach that person, and because you're a veteran, they might trust you more than, you know, Joe Blow off the street, right? And enough to hand you the keys, there's a lot more to it, but enough to hand you the keys, go retire, and they become your bank, and then you pay them over time. Now, another reason that's attractive for sellers is that there's tax advantages to that, right? Right. So instead of taking one big check and taking a big tax hit, depending on your circumstance, you're just getting paid over a period of years, and the taxes are different. And they can charge interest on it, too. Yeah, and they can charge interest on it, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you think the, uh, the outlook is right now uh, for business acquisitions as far as you know, just availability of businesses. You know, I've had some conversations with people that, that feel like uh, the boomer generation is hitting retirement age and there's going to be a ton of businesses that their kids don't want necessarily to, to have to run. They don't want, they're not interested in the family business anymore. Uh, do you think the prospects are looking pretty good for, for people who might want to buy businesses? Yeah, I think you got that generational thing going on for sure. But as you know, owning a small business, every business is for sale every day. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and, you know, I've challenged some members of Vet to CEO, and a few of them have done this, and I, I'll say this in this podcast. It's like, if you want something cool to do, uh, pick 10 businesses in your in your community that you might want to maybe, you know, that you like them and you might want to tr- buy them, right? Just just create a list of 10. Walk in the 10 of them and ask for the owner and then ask them, hey, uh, do you ever think about selling this business? And I guarantee you about half of them will say, uh, well, what do you have in mind? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Am I right? Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, <laughs> I, got, I got one of those calls uh, probably three, four weeks ago. Yeah. And, um, you know, this guy's saying he's trying to wrap up market share in the area and is interested in looking at one of my businesses. And um, I told him, you know, everything's for sale for the right price. Of course, it's like you said, for the right price, it's for sale. However, my price is not going to be what market value is at this point in time. Right. It's going to be two or three times what normal market value would be in order for me to say, yeah, I'm willing to give. Yeah, that's where your bar is right now. But let's just say, for example, I don't want to pick on you, but let's just say, for example, that person walked in and you're in the middle of a divorce, right? Right. Or you just found out, you know, you got a major medical issue, right? And you're kind of freaking out because you got the business, right? I'm not saying you want to take advantage of people in those circumstances. Well, you're actually helping them out because you're taking something off their plate. That's right. 
you know, they don't have to focus on. And that happens every day. And I know I could give you examples of people that bought businesses because of that. And seller financing then becomes ultra doable because you're, the person needs to go do something else like now. And um, so anyway, this stuff is stuff that's not really talked about in the public domain that much, right? And we think of that CEO, that's a tragedy. And, and I think at VBC especially – People go to those meetings that don't own businesses, and they hear all this stuff, which yeah. is awesome, you know. Question from somebody who funds businesses and somebody who's been in business for a long time. What would you say to somebody who is thinking about maybe going into business part-time and not giving up a full-time gig initially um, in order to maybe try something out and see if it's going to work and kind of ease into it slowly? Do you think that's... Uh, you seen that as a good option, or do you think it's better to just commit, dive in? Um, you know, that's a good question. I don't think there's a right answer for that. There's a whole bunch of people that talk about side gigs and all that, and that's fine. That's just not me. Um, I think it's hard to be successful in a small business unless you're all in, right? Like, take the plank away. <laughs> Burn the ships. <laughs> uh, yeah. No reserve. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm going for it. I, I, because that that kind of pressure to perform, I think, is what's required to lead to success. Um, and, you know, there's a couple other things probably worth mentioning, uh, specific to veterans. You know, I said we, we don't do anything alone, right? Think about going down the startup route, though. That, that's the loneliest thing in the world, right? Mm -hmm. Startup. Yeah. <laughs> I did it. and it, Well, actually, I was fortunate enough to start it with two other guys. One was a Vietnam vet, still a good friend of mine, SF guy, um, really funny man. He's both a mentor and a partner. Uh, and I also uh, started with a, somebody who went to Harvard and Oxford, um, the smart guy in the room, and we had to end up getting rid of him, right? So everything that could go wrong did go wrong, and I won't get into details. But anyway, the point I make is, despite that, it's very lonely, mm -hmm. right? Very, very lonely. And military people, especially when you make sergeant or you go in as a junior officer, when you get assigned to a unit, your dudes are already there, man. <laughs> yeah, everything's in place. Your, your process there. Are in place, yeah. everything, right? Yeah. Your SOPs are there. And your job is to take that, lead them, and make them better, right, when you leave them to the next dude. And isn't that like buying an existing business or buying a franchise? That that jacket feels more comfortable to us than a startup, right? Right, yeah. And, you know, that's something that needs to be talked about a little bit more, too. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah. So we're getting close to, to our time allotment for, for this episode. What would you say are your, your three your three main points that you'd like to leave on the table for any, anybody listening, whether they're, they're veterans, civilians, or thinking about going into business, or they are in business. What are the three, three nuggets John Panachone wants to leave out there? Well, because uh, I, I live it, and I, and I learn it the hard way, um, immerse yourself in financial literacy for small business. It's like, think about it as a language, right? You've got to learn the language and immerse mm -hmm. yourself in it. Secondly, uh, especially if you're a veteran, you know, the sooner you start, the better. You know, at the VBC, and I told you this, I'm just amazed at how many active duty guys show up to these meetings, and I think it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> at vet to ceo we have more and more active duty people. It's online, so we have more and more active duty taking that program. I think that trend is awesome, right? Start as, the point that number two is start as early as possible, right? Yeah. Um, 
And, and number three, and we haven't talked about this, but since you gave me three, I'm going to throw this on the table because I yeah. think it's very important. What's really hard for veterans to get their head around is this the concept of money. And my entire military career, um, you know, especially when you're in a leadership position, there's a couple questions nobody asked me in the military. One of them was, what is your credit score? <laughs> <laughs> Right? Yeah, yeah. Even when I deployed, nobody said, and I was like a company XO when I deployed, nobody said, hey, before you get on that aircraft, what's your credit score again? You know? Yeah. Oh, it's a little low. You're not worthy to lead this group, right? Right. And when you bring money into the equation, all that stuff that made us great leaders in the military and all the assessments we had and all that stuff that donned us as you're worthy of leading America's men and women and keeping them alive, none of that matters. A lot of that doesn't matter when it comes to money, right? And it drives us crazy. Right. So what I would tell veterans is swallow that pill. You know, that's that's a humble pie you need to eat, right? The People with money don't care about that stuff that was precious in the military as much as you think. Just get used to that. Be prepared for it. Um and and that change is a lot is hard for veterans. So that's number three. Just just realize that when you take the uniform off, a lot of the things that made you a good leader aren't as valuable on the outside. On one hand, on the other hand, uh, if you're with the right people, they'll recognize that and work with you like a business owner that wants to hand you the keys. That leadership um, and experience you had is provides the the resume for someone to work with you. You know, to hand off their company. So. Just, just recognize that that's an issue. Yeah, those are great points. Uh, your, your point about being humble, not just in needing to understand money, but humble in general, I think is is uh, something we all need to, to take a big dose of, especially leaving oh, the yeah. service, right? Like, I know I had this this perception of myself when I left active duty that it doesn't matter what it is, I'll figure it out. Right. I'll just figure out how to do it. Right. And if I can't just figure it out, then I'll just bulldoze through the wall like as a force of nature to get it done right and that like you said with money involved that doesn't work yeah because no one's going to continue to pour money into you to give you more resources to get the job done you have to just figure out how to do it the right way and so you know, we, we leave with this i think a sense of overconfidence in our ability to do things that we don't really understand and we don't know a lot about and then we're also hindered by the fact that we don't ask for help right I mean, how many, how many veterans sit and struggle and struggle and struggle because they're conditioned to never show weakness, never show that they don't know anything, um, and, and to, you don't want to be the guy in the room that doesn't have it figured out. So you don't ask for help ever. Yeah, part of asking for help is networking, right? Right. So we're, we suck at networking, right, in the civilian definition of it, right? Which, again, not to overplug VBC, and you didn't ask me to do this, but one of the reasons I'm a huge fan of VBC is – it is an optimal networking event, right? Particularly for people that already own businesses that happen to be veterans, right? which is the bulk of the, the membership, yeah. right? Um, which I think is what is part of the reason why we talked in the beginning, it's, it's taken off, right? Because it's provided that networking um, conduit that's, that was lacking, I think, in the, in the community out there. Um, that and, we need to be successful. And probably why we have so many active duty guys that show up because they they feel that and they get mentored by the right. existing business owners. Right, and the trust is there, right? Yeah. And, you know, um, and that trust is what accelerates that willingness to be in a mentored environment, right? 
I'm sure when you got out in the beginning, right, you felt weird around civilians, right? I mean, oh, how gosh. how how confident would you be to go up to a bunch of civilians and say, hey, uh, I don't understand this financial statement thing? Can you, you know, it's like this oh, yeah. huge mental bridge you got to leap over, right? Yeah, for sure, yeah. And it's it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, John, for being our first guest on the VBC podcast. Hey, I'm, I'm honored, man. Again, if our, our, our listening and download numbers don't skyrocket and go through it's the all roof my fault. by the end Throw of the week. Throw me under the bus, man. It's totally yeah. your fault. Um, yeah. But for those that we do attract and do listen to us and are interested in attending a Vet to CEO program, how do they get in touch with you? How do they find you? Yeah, our website, vettoceo.org, V-E-T-T-O-C-E-O.org. Uh, it's got everything on there. Okay. And you said you just classed up now? Yeah, we've got a class. Uh, I don't know when this podcast will roll, but we got one that starts in December, rolls into January. Okay, um, this will air well before then, so anybody okay. listening has time to, to get enrolled and, and right. take advantage of the free, right, free right. Uh, program. And lastly, for, for those that are interested in uh, starting or acquiring a business and are looking at some creative ways to raise some money, how do they get in touch with Fola Capital? Uh, FolaCapital.com. That's a for-profit. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I've already talked enough about Thank you for that. Uh, one more thing about VetCO. We're going to be doing our first virtual conference next year. So, uh, you know, if, if people want to learn about that, get in touch with us through the website. But we're pretty jacked about that. And you have social accounts for uh, yep. VetCO, LinkedIn, Facebook, Facebook yep. everything. They we're can follow there that. as well. Yep. And Fola uh, Capital, is it? How's that spelled? Fullacapital.com? F-O-L-L-A capital.com. Okay. All right. For creative funding sources. And let's try and do our outro for the first time. So thank you for listening. We appreciate you all so very much. To get involved and find a sense of purpose, belonging, and increase your bottom line, you can visit us at veteranbusinesscollective.org as well as follow us on all our social channels, particularly LinkedIn and Facebook. We post all of our events for all of our trap chapters and locations uh, to our social channels. Um, and lastly, honor the fallen by living each day to the fullest. And until next time, VBC out. Thanks for checking out the VBC podcast.